Um, thanks, everybody. We are going to jump into a new series Diane mentioned this morning, starting a new series called Why. Um, I was praying uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, probably about three weeks ago now, um, coming out of a shoulder surgery. I'm still recovering from that, so keep praying for me. Um, but uh, I was praying about what to, what to preach into. And the issue now, if you've been in ministry for 35 years, the issue is never what should I do. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's erasing all the things that you could do that maybe aren't as good as what God wants you to do. So the question is never, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I have to come up with something to preach. The question is always limiting all the good things and getting to the God thing, if that makes any sense. So we're always trying to do that. We're always trying to lean into, Lord, what are you saying? And I, I, I woke up one morning and just felt really strongly that God wanted me to start a series called Why? And just part of it is just asking some tough questions. Um, uh, so often we've been taught in church that asking questions is a bad thing. Um, but that's not exactly how it's supposed to work. It's not the way God designed it. Um, Jesus took on 12 disciples, and the whole point of taking on 12 disciples was to answer their questions about God. So he walked with them for three years, and often they would see something happen, and it would not meet their expectations of what they thought God was doing or who they thought the Messiah was, and they would come and sit down around a campfire afterwards or on the beach somewhere, and, and Jesus would start telling them, you know, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And they would ask questions, Lord, why are you doing this? Lord, when is your kingdom coming? What's, they would ask all these questions. And Jesus didn't rebuke the questions. He always entertained their questions. He rebuked their unbelief, oftentimes, that was uh, pictured in some of their questions. But the questions weren't the issue. Unbelief was the issue. But so often what we've done is we, we're afraid to ask questions because we, um, we so often see questions asked with cynicism, with anger, with frustration, and Jesus said, we need to be like a little child. Um, there's a story of, a, of, of a, uh, a comedian, and he's talking about when his little boy was three years old. He said, uh, all he would do is just ask me why, constantly. He said, every time I turn around, he's like, Daddy, why this? Daddy, why this? He said, finally, I got so frustrated, I turned around and looked at him. He said, you don't know nothing. <laughs> and that's kind of the point. There's so many things that if we're not careful, we'll assume things about God because we have these ideas or, you know, our media has told us something or tradition has taught us something about God. And as we journey in our walk with the Lord, the point behind following Jesus is to get to know Jesus. And so often there are questions that we have that um, we think we have answers to. And sometimes it's better to just go back and ask the question again and let God really talk to us about what that looks like. So let me start this morning with a story. I've shared this before. It's been, uh, I think this was one of the stories I shared when, the, when I first became pastor here. So if you've been here for 12 years, you might remember this. Otherwise, it'll be new to you. The, the story is about uh, something called the Lenox Globe. I'm going to put a picture up here. It's called the Lenox Globe. And in 1855, a man named Harry Stevens was having dinner with Richard Morris Hunt, who was the architect uh, who designed the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. That's like the largest private mansion in the world, the largest American castle, as it were. And he noticed Mr. Hunt's children were playing with a rather odd-looking toy. It was a hollow copper globe, you can see it on the screen, measuring about five inches across and about 14 inches around. When asked, Mr. Hunt said that he had picked it up in Paris for a song. It was discovered upon closer examination to be over 350 years old. And it would become the second oldest terrestrial globe ever found. The Lenox globe, created around 1503, had been given to children as a plaything, as a toy. <laughs> Not only was it priceless in value, but it unlocked tremendous information regarding the discovery of the New World. It's the first time in a globe that the New World, America, you know, the Americas, were pictured. What's really funny is it pictured um, North America as a series of islands, because they hadn't got quite to the point where <laughs> they knew what that looked like yet. But the, the point behind this, the story, is to kind of, it's kind of prove a point that's a little bit strange, but the whole idea behind it is this. If you don't know something's purpose, the tendency is you'll abuse it. So here, here are these kids playing with something that was turned out to be priceless in value, but to them it was just a toy. So they're literally rolling it across the floor, you know, throwing it across the room, bouncing it off of things, and here it is, 350 years old, turns out to be priceless. So here's the thing. Most of us cling to a certainty because it provides security. We want to know what's going on. We like having the right answers. We don't like having open-ended questions in our life. We like the safety of making plans. We crave the desire to control our lives. Or is that just me? Anybody else want to, control, want to try to control things? Here's the thing, though. Following Jesus is about surrendering our lives to a God we can't see 
and a future that we can't predict. You ever thought about that? So it's only natural that we'd experience some tension and doubts along the way. The problem is that most of us have been taught to hide our questions, believing that our doubts disqualify us from following Jesus. And that's just simply not true. But what if we've gotten it backwards? What if faith is less about knowing all the answers and more about being willing to ask really hard questions? So in this series, we're going to ask some really hard questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why you can't always feel God's presence? Why God sometimes seems, un, uh, seems unfair? Why God answers some prayers but not others? That's a big one. Most people are asking questions. And this is why so many people are frustrated, not just people who don't know Christ, frustrated in the world that we live in, but also believers who get really frustrated because part of it is we, we're afraid to ask questions, especially to leaders. I used to get, I've shared this many times, but I used to get in trouble all the time in Bible college because I'd ask why questions. I'm like, how come this, why that? And they're like, you just need to tow the party line. And I'm like, I don't even know what a party line is, let alone do I want to tow it. <laughs> Maybe the party lines, you know, needs to be disconnected or reconnected somewhere else. I'm just, I'm just throwing some stuff out there. But it's so often people are frustrated because we don't know our why. We don't know the reason we exist. We don't know that, you know, people struggle in marriage because they don't know the purpose in marriage. They struggle, and we see this constantly. They struggle with their identity because they don't know the purpose of who or what they are. Struggle with things like our sexual identity. Am I a male or a female? Is there even male or female? And, and I know that's a big political uh, touch point right now, but the point behind that is it's an identity question, and it's not, it's not wrong to ask identity questions. It's just wrong to try to find the answers where answers can't possibly come from. And so we just want to explore this a little bit. So often people don't know their why. In, in life, I've discovered there's three major questions that everybody's asking. One is this, where did I come from? Did, you know, is it... Um, from me uh, to you by way of the zoo, or from goo to you by way of the zoo? Is that what it is? Is it evolution? Did we just, you know, is there intelligent design? Is there creation? Where did we actually come from? And does that even matter? Second question is, where will I go when I die? Will I go anywhere? Do I just cease to exist? If I believe that I just cease to exist, then this world becomes meaningless and, and nihilism is the only way, the only philosophy to have is to just constantly be thinking about nothingness because none of it matters. The love that I have for my wife isn't real love. It's just you know electrical impulse, impulses bouncing around inside my brain. The love that I have for my children, the hate that I have for injustice, that's always my favorite. It's like I hate injustice, but listen, if the world is just the way it was, it's just evolution, it's just chance over, over time, over time, over time, over time, and, and nothing nothing came from anything, it's just, you know, it's just here, then why are you mad about injustice, right? You can't be. It's foolish to be angry at a universe that exists the way it is. Just accept it and move on, and one day you'll die, and that'll be the end of it, and you won't exist. But none of us really believe that. Something inside of us, there's a sense of a desire for justice, even sometimes if we're a little bit self-righteous, right, and indignant over the wrong things. And if I'm honest, sometimes we're hypocritical over injustice when we're actually performing some of the same injustices, right? So the last question is my favorite. So where did I come from? Where will I go when I die? But the biggest question is, why am I here? And that's a really, really good question to ask because the answer to that is everything. It's why you get up in the morning. It's why you sacrifice. It's why you give generously. It's why you serve. It's why you are willing to let go of your selfish ambitions and help other people. It's why you're willing to come out of your island unto yourself and actually be a part of a community, part of a city, part of a nation, part of a movement. It's the only thing that can drive community is answering the question, why am I here? So in Acts 13, 36, it's really interesting that David's uh, it, the story is about David. It's, it's, uh, Luke is writing this, but he tells a story about David, King David, the boy who became a king. And this is what it said. It says, now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. That's just a nice way of saying he died. And then he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. I'm like, thanks for that information, Lord, I don't, I don't know why I need to know about his body decaying, <laughs> except for the, whole, the answer before that is he served God's purpose in his generation. In other words, he had a time frame. He had a season that his life mattered. And once his life was ended, 
then whatever he was doing in this world no longer exists outside of the heritage that he, laid, he, that he, he left behind. Right? So he moves on. His physical body decays, and the Bible goes on and talks about that we've been giving and we're going to be given a new body, that heaven is a place where our old broken bodies, that all this brokenness is not going to exist. We get all that. But the Bible says that David did something very specific. He served God's purposes in his generation. So I want to give you this morning three thoughts on purpose, um, three answers to the question, why am I here? Or an easier way to, to really get after it is to say, how do you find your why? So the first one is simple. Your purpose isn't for you. Your purpose, your purpose is actually God's purpose. That's why David said, the, the writer of, of Acts said, Luke, he said that, that David served God in his generation. He served the purposes of someone else, not himself. And yet isn't it interesting that David is one of the most well-known kings, he's one of the most well-known figures of all antiquity because he served someone else's purpose. Isn't that interesting? That he laid his life down for someone else's purpose, and because of that, he's glorified, he's exalted, he's, he's, he's sung about. You know, we, we see, literally sing songs about King David. And he understood this in Psalm 57. He's writing, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. See, the challenge is, David wasn't trying to find his purpose, he was trying to fulfill God's purpose. He stopped looking for his own and started looking for God's purpose in his life. And here's the interesting, interesting thing. That's when he actually found his purpose, is when he began to serve God's purpose. So what is purpose? We've, you know, I've thrown this phrase about, but what is it exactly? The easiest way to explain it is its original intent. You know, the globe we talked about was designed for something very specific. It was designed to create information and as a map. It's very interesting that on, <clears throat> it's one of the only maps in antiquity that on the, on the corner of one of the areas near the Indian Ocean, it says, um, it says uh, here be dragons. You ever heard that phrase, here be dragons? And it was a phrase that cartographers, ancient cartographers would write in and saying, don't go here. We don't know what's there, but probably are there dragons, right? So anything to do with the unknown is always, it can't be good. It's going to be bad, right? It's just always the way we kind of think as, as humans. But the original intent for that, for that globe was not a child's plaything, and yet that was what it was being used as. Its purpose was being abused because the people who were playing with it didn't know its original intent. And so purpose is just simply that. It's original intent. There's a story of an apprentice working for, <clears throat> working for a carpenter, sorry, a mechanic, and the apprentice says, hey, will you hand me a wrench? And the master mechanic says, I've told you a million times, please don't ask for a wrench Ask for a specific wrench, a specific size wrench. I just need you to be specific. He said, look, it doesn't matter what wrench you hand, hand to me. I'm just going to use it as a hammer. <laughs> and so the point is, again, things are designed for something. They're purpose-driven. And if we don't use them for the purpose, the, the intent of ultimately is we're going to actually damage. And not, not only are we not going to see what's supposed to happen, we're going to destroy something that was supposed to happen. So if you don't know something's purpose, you're going to likely abuse it. So here's an interesting phrase. This is a, a term in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament about sin, but it's the purest definition, if you will, of sin in the Bible. Because we throw that term around all the time, but people don't really know what it means. Um, but it literally means missing the mark. It's hermodia is the word, and it just liter it's an archer's term. And the idea behind it is he, the archer pulls the arrow, he, he stretches the bow and pulls the arrow, and he releases it, and whatever he was aiming at, he misses it. And so often the point in our, in our walk with God, so often in church, we've talked so much about missing, the missing part, and never talked about what the mark actually is. We talked about sin so much that all we ever do is think about sin, and I'm sinful, and sin, 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 and nobody asks the question, well, what was God's original intent? Remember when Jesus, you see Jesus doing this, they're walking in the field on, on the Sabbath, and the, the, <clears throat> the disciples are hungry, so they're pulling off the grains, and they're eating them, and some well-meaning Pharisee comes yelling it and said, you know, what are you doing? You can't work on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus said, it's very interesting, Jesus said what? The Sabbath was not, I mean, men were not made for the Sabbath, but what? The Sabbath was made for men. And so, again, there's nothing wrong with understanding the rules of the Sabbath, the reason for Sabbath occurring, but if you miss the intent of why God said what he said, why is it that God says, hey, don't have sex before marriage? Why is it that, we, that God wants to push that? Is he just a big spoil sport? I mean, is he, just some, is he a big prude in the sky? Is that why God doesn't want you to have sex? 
I don't know if you guys know this. Maybe you've never thought about it, but God invented sex. On purpose. Like it was totally intentional when he said, you know what? We're going to make new people, and this is how we're going to do it, and it's going to be fun, and they're going to like it, right? The problem isn't sex. The problem is sex outside of its original intent. And it's designed, we treat this, there's been, we've treated it like it's, like, it's, like it's not important. We've treated it in the last, you know, since the 60s, sex, sexuality became just, it just became a transaction void of anything else in the world. And that's where abortion has come from. It's when destruction, it's why selfishness is so rampant. It's why there's so many fatherless children. It's why there's so much brokenness in the world, right? Because God says, I have an idea for something. This is how I've created it. Thank you, sir. This is how I've created it, and if you ignore the original intent, you're, going, you're only going to abuse what I meant for good. So it's important to understand that. So if you don't know your purpose, then you will always be searching. You're going to try this job. You're going to try a relationship because somehow the relationship isn't giving you what you think it ought to. You're going to go on a vacation and think, you know, if I could just afford a better vacation, if I just had a nicer car, if I lived in a better neighborhood or a nicer house, or if my wife was prettier or didn't yell at me or whatever it is, you're just going to say, if, if I just had this, I will be happy. And, and the truth is, even if you are happy, happiness is fleeting. Joy isn't. See, God's original intent wasn't just for happiness. It's interesting that in the, in the Bible, before the fall of man, men worked. Isn't that interesting? Like, like it, was, it was sacrificial. It was exerting yourself. But there was something different about before sin that it, that it didn't come by the sweat of the brow, that there was intent and there was purpose, and, and you didn't have to fight against a nature that was pushing back because it was so broken, right? And so, so the original intent matters, and we, we keep chasing after things, um, even the things that God created, and we're putting in the, wrong, in the wrong context and wondering why we're getting out problems and situations and, and unintentional uh, uh, problems. Here's the thing. If we aren't careful, what we do is we unintentionally reduce our life to this beautiful experiment, and everybody knows this. You see this all the time with people. They're searching, and they can't find it. You see people who are popular. They're, everybody likes them, and they're still miserable because they don't know their purpose. You see people who are powerful, have plenty of money, plenty of, of power and influence, and yet they hate life because there's no purpose. You see prosperous people, more money than, than they can stand. You see this constantly. You see it in the news. You especially see it in the celebrity lifestyles that we have glorified so much. You see people that are beautiful and wealthy and have influence and have power, everything you think they would ever need. And, let, and, and, and they're miserable, and they're hopeless, and they're broken, and so often they end up even killing themselves. It's just an incredible scenario. Here's the thing. We are created for God, but we are trying to live for this world. Here's where, here's where the problem lies. There's something beyond. There's something what, what theologians call transcendent. It's above us. It's outside of us. It's not us. It's anything but us. It's something that comes from somewhere else. That does, you know, it, we talk about the Big Bang Theory, and the Big Bang Theory was, uh, is a recent theory. And at first, Christians didn't like the Big Bang Theory because they're like, you know, it doesn't fit in exactly in the way Genesis kind of tells us what happens. But what was amazing about the Big Bang Theory is when they discovered it, the way it was discovered, um, Hubble, who was, the telescope has been named after, but he was actually a scientist, he was looking through one of the newest telescopes of his time in the 20s and the 30s, and he was looking at stars that no one had ever seen before. They were so distant with these new massive telescopes. And as he looked at them, he discovered that the color of the stars was a little bit different than the ones they had been seeing before. The color of the stars were red. There was a red tint to them. And if you know anything about physics, which I don't know that much, but what he knew for sure was that the color red was a light, it was a waveform from light that is moving away from you. And so every star he looked out at, at that distance was moving away. And what's interesting is he, he put this, he postulated this, put this in the theory, and he published it. And the, one of the biggest people who pushed back on it was Einstein. Because Einstein had developed the theory of relativity. And in the theory of relativity, one of the problems that he had, he had to deal with was the fact that the universe didn't fit his idea of the way the universe worked. And so he created a number in his theory that was a constant universe. 
In other words, it wasn't expanding, it wasn't contracting, it wasn't moving at all. It had always existed. The only problem was when Hubble seen this, saw this light that was moving away, everything that Einstein believed about his theory of relativity was wrong because in that equation, he had, de he had de decided, he made a decision. It wasn't, he didn't have evidence for it. He just decided the only way that his theory worked was if the universe was constant. Only now he discovered that it wasn't. And he had to go back and adjust his theory of relativity. He actually announced that. One of the things he said when he, about writing that, he said, it was one of the greatest mistakes of my scientific career. But here's the thing. He was really, really smart. I don't know if you knew that about Einstein, but he was really, really smart. So was Hubble. But what happened is they, as they studied the beginning of things, what they discovered was that the universe had not always existed, that the universe had a beginning, that as everything was moving away, that meant that if you, if you put, went backwards in time, that everything moved into a moment, into this tiny little dot that started from nothing. So for time to begin... For matter to begin, for space to begin, there couldn't be time or matter or space. So the only conclusion is that everything we have came from something that is not. Something that Christians have known for a really long time, right? So why is that important? Because if you, don't, if you don't understand where we've come, if you don't ask the questions why, then what happens is you begin, to make, you begin to create ideas about your existence, that you create theories that begin to be truths, and you begin to live out of all those theories, you begin to live them out in your life, and if they're wrong, if they're based on something that's wrong, then everything that comes from them is going to be destructive. If you get the original intent wrong, then what comes after it is going to be destructive. So what does that mean? If you don't teach your kids about love and relationship and the way God designed relationship to work, if you don't t teach them about their identity, whether they're male or female, whether, whether they have challenges with, with I, I like to do things that aren't typically male or I like to do things that aren't typically female, all those things, none of those things matter. What matters is helping them understand this is who God created you to be. Sometimes, let me be honest, sometimes it's easy to walk in that Sometimes it's difficult. But the truth is, if we refuse to walk in the way God created us, if we refuse to walk in the original intent, then everything that follows becomes destructive. This is going to lead into some of the questions we have about why bad things happen to good people. Why is it that, that so, so many things that happen, we have this question right now about school shootings and all these things that happen, and it's like, well, it's, it's the gun's fault. And before I get into a political debate with anybody, I want to just challenge you to think, People are saying these things not because necessarily they hate guns. Some people, they just don't even know. Some of these people have never held a gun in their entire lives. They have no concept. They think that, that their state comes from the market rather than the farm. You know what I'm saying? But, but there's a, a heart that says, we're so sick of all the dying. We're so sick of children being killed. We're so sick of this. But here's the, why this is so powerful. If you don't go back to why this is happening, not why you think it's happening, but why it actually is happening, if you don't go back to that, everything that follows is only going to create more destruction. Does that make sense? So when we create a lifestyle, a world that says that killing babies is an okay thing to do, right? You hear the argument all the time about, well, what about rape and what about incest? And that's fine. You can ask that question. But anybody who studied this knows that that's less than 2% of all abortions. 98 to 99% of all abortions in America, in the West, happen because it's challenging someone's lifestyle. It's not because the mother is in danger. It's not because of rape or incest. It's because I, I don't want a child. This is not the best time. I don't, wanna, I don't want my career to change. This is going to ruin the relationship I'm in. There's a million reasons why they do it. But listen. If, you, if, if something inside of you recognizes the evil of abortion and then you ask the question, how can some well-meaning, normal person fall into that trap, right? You have to ask the question about original intent. So if you go after someone in the moment and say, you know what, you're, you're, I want to talk to you about abortion. I want to go after you about abortion. Listen, there's nothing wrong with taking a stand for truth. Never has been, never will be. If you don't take a stand, you're just going to get pushed further and further back. So God designed us to take a stand. But Jesus was never about just being right. He was about being right in love. 
And so the original intent behind God putting rules into the world, the law, all the things that we've discovered, the original intent behind this was good and not evil. The whole point of the law was to show us that in a broken world, since the fall, when sin entered the world, since then, no matter what we do, without God's help, we cannot do the right thing. And let me tell you, if you want to have an argument about lifestyles, and you want to have an argument about abortion and guns and every other issue and sexual identity, if you don't start with the original intent, which is God's love for human beings, you're going to get it wrong. And you're going to do more damage in the name of good than you can possibly imagine. We know that because that's why Jesus was so angry at the Pharisees. It's helpful to understand that. Second thing is you don't find your purpose. You serve God's purpose. David wasn't pursuing his dream. He did not have a bucket list to become king. It never crossed his mind. He was a young boy. He was a shepherd watching over his father's sheep. He had older brothers that were off doing the war thing. He wasn't quite old enough for that. Samuel, the prophet, comes in. He hears God say, the, king is, the next king is going to be anointed from Jesse's house. Go to Jesse's house. So he goes to Jesse's house. The father brings all of the sons before them except one. David was so insignificant in his father's eyes that he didn't even invite him to the party. How bad is that, right? And so you look at the, the, you know, you go back and read the story and, and, and Samuel comes and he looks at the oldest brother and he says, surely this is God's anointing because he's tall and he's good looking and he's a warrior and so was Saul, <laughs> right? And that didn't seem to work out so good because that's why he's anointing another king, right? And so he goes to the whole list and he says, none of these guys, he said, surely, surely something's wrong. Oh yeah, I have that other son. Well, we're not sitting down until he comes. And he comes walking through the door and Samuel says, he's the guy. Why? David was not pursuing king. What was David doing when all this was happening? Let me tell you what he wasn't doing. He wasn't building his resume. He wasn't strategizing about expanding his brand. He wasn't trying to get noticed. He wasn't looking for his big break, right? He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't Israel's next star. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't looking for any of those things. Let me tell you what he was doing. He was taking care of his father's sheep. He was serving. He was serving his father's purpose, and ultimately he was serving God's purpose. Look at Psalm 78, 70. It says, he, God, chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. This is where he called him from, the sheep pens. He took David from tending the, the ewes and lambs, and he made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. David was not seeking a position. He was serving a purpose. Let me say that again. David was not seeking a position. He was serving a purpose. Remember Goliath? He's taunting God's people. Uh, God's people were afraid, and, and, and God chooses David to go fight this giant. So remember the story. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the, he's not the, you know, he's not the most ripped warrior. He's not valiant. He doesn't have money. He doesn't have prestige. He doesn't have influence. He doesn't have any of those things. You know what he was doing that day? He was bringing Lunchables to his brother. <laughs> he's bringing cheese and crackers and wine to his brothers. He was serving a purpose. He was serving God's people. He was serving his brothers. And if you read the story, his brothers were probably not very nice to him. But he was still serving the purposes God had for him, and he was happily doing it. And from that place, God chooses a man, and he says, this is a man that will, that will do something powerful in my kingdom. Why? Because he's humble, he listens, he's willing to serve my purpose even at his own um, expense. So David served God's purpose. Your purpose isn't for you. Your purpose is for God. You don't find your purpose. You serve God's purposes. So how do you do that? How do you even start? It, and here's number three. You serve God's purpose by serving God's people. This is what David was doing. This was Jesus' purpose, the one that we're supposed to emulate, the one that we're following, the one that we're learning to become like. He changes our heart. He says, this is the way to walk in. This is what it looks like. Hebrews said, you've heard uh, God described, and, and, and this is how it's supposed to be through the prophets, through the angels, through all these things. But God in these last days has shown us this is how it's done. It's done through his son. He is the perfect example of God on earth, right? And this is what it says of Jesus. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. If anybody should have been served, it should have been Jesus. 
If anybody deserved to be served, it was Jesus. And yet it goes on, it says, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life away. How valuable do you think Jesus' life was? And yet he gave it away for all of us. We were all wrong. He was all right. So if it's just about right, Jesus was the rightest man who ever lived. And if he was going to do it right, he should have said, enough, let's kill them all and start all over again. It's not what he did. He said, these people I love and I will give my life away as a ransom to redeem and purchase them back. And so that's the model that we've been, we've been given. You aren't called to seek a platform, power, or position. You're called to serve people, and especially God's people. Here's the interesting thing. It's not just an assignment in the future. So often we have this idea about fulfilling the call of God, that there's going to be that moment. You know, there's going to be that moment one day where God's, it's, it's my time, and I'm going to step up. You know, I'm going to be celebrated. I'm going to get, woo, this is amazing. This is the most incredible life. This is just what I dreamed. And it's almost never like that. Almost never. You know what it looks like? It looks like you're at the end of your rope and someone asks for help and you don't want to. You're reluctant. You're tired. You're hurting. You're irritated. You're frustrated. You're sick of all of it. And something inside your heart says, yeah, but I'm going to do it anyway. Not because I want to, because something inside of me knows that the right thing to do, that the, what God had called me to do is to lay my life down in service to others. This is how you serve God's purpose. You serve God's people. Here's another way you do it. You discover how God made you. So don't just pick something. That's not nearly helpful. I mean, the way we discover how we're supposed to work, you know, 40, 50 years of our life in this world is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life, right? It's like you go to school. Nobody ever teaches you how to run a checkbook, which is the first thing you have to do if you're going to live this world, right? And live. Nobody teaches you how to do a budget in school. Nobody ever taught us any of that stuff. I'm like, I had to learn that after the fact. But nobody teaches you how to lay your life down. They're teaching you, you got to do this, and you got to go after this. You got to live your, you go after your dream. You, all these promises, and you got all these young people chasing all this stuff, chasing money. I'm going to become a doctor, not because I want to serve people, not because I want to bless people in that way, but because they drive nicer cars. I wanted to be an architect, not because I wanted to build things, but because they drove SUVs and their boots didn't get dirty, right? That's what I wanted. It's because I was young. And something about that is all wrong. We chase and we pursue things and we miss it because we don't know who we are and we don't know whose we are. And so God says, I've made you a certain way. You can't just decide that yourself. Some of you guys, he made you to be outgoing, and no matter how hard you try, you cannot be an introvert. Not that you would try, because extroverts think introverts are broken. Amen? <laughs> introverts know extroverts are broken, right? They're like, calm down, sir. He's like a puppy that just never runs. When do we take your batteries out, right? And we have all these perspectives. Why? Because we tend to judge people whom we're supposed to be loving by ourselves. But so often, we don't even know ourselves. We don't know our gifts. We don't know our strengths. We don't know our passions. And so we go after something with this mindset that if I just do something that's popular, if I just pick a career field that makes money, somehow that's going to make me happy. There's so many people right now who have, who have careers that have nothing to do with, with the diploma that they walked out of school with. So many people. Why? Because it, the system's broken. It's, it's, pro, it's a worldly system that says, here's how you find happiness. It's not at all how we're supposed to do it. So discover, and we help you do that. Something we love to do at DCF. You know, our, our, our passion here is we transform lives by encountering grace in the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? Primarily, we do it in two ways. One is through community groups, and the other is through grace teams. Why do we do that? Because in community groups, you find out who you are, and you find out who other people are. You learn to love people even in their brokenness. You learn to love people. You learn that people aren't always easy. And then you also learn that sometimes people are incredibly, incredible and they're amazing and they're sacrificial and they will love in ways you can't even begin to imagine. Community groups help you understand who other people are. And in that process of getting to know other people, you also discover who you are. Grace teams are the same way. Why is it you should work in kids' church? Not because we need people to work in kids' church. That's true. We do need people to work in kids' church. 
But our passion is that you would find your passion in working with kids. If you love kids, maybe you don't even like kids, but you love leadership. Maybe you're really good at administration, but not necessarily want to work with kids. That's fine. You can work in kids' church without ever even seeing a kid. Well, maybe not exactly seeing a kid. But you can bring your strength to that ministry and, and not have a passion for kids. You can have a passion for order. You can have a passion for administration. You can have a passion for teaching. You can have a passion for leadership. You can have strengths in all these different areas. But so often we won't discover it because somewhere in our head is, I'm, you know, I'm not exactly excited about hanging out with kids. But we find our purpose. We discover this through grace teams. We try something. and We really find out that we're excellent at it. We're really, really good at it, and we ought to do it. So we're transformed by encountering grace in the Holy Spirit. And primarily, I said, in, at our church anyway, it's through grace teams, ministry teams, and through community groups. So let me close with this. What is your why? Have you discovered your why? Taking care of sheep, bringing a snack to your brothers. <laughs> Does that sound like your why? Probably not. But David wasn't a man after his own glory. David was a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible said, says about him twice. It says it twice. David was a man after God's own heart. If you have read the Bible, you also know that David was really good at sinning. Have you noticed this? Like, pick a commandment he didn't break. There's hardly any, I mean, he, he's almost like he's like, I think I could break all 10 this year. Like, that was somewhere in his head. He was, he was a terrible person in some regards. Remember, he's, he's, he kills a man so that he, he's, he's gotten his, this guy's wife pregnant. So he brings the guy back, deceives the whole, everybody, deceives, says, go and sleep with your wife. The man has too much honor, so he stays with his brothers in arms, and he says, I'm not going to go enjoy my wife when my brothers can't because we're fighting a war. I'm, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to stay with him. And Dave's like, man, if you'd just be a normal guy and do what every other guy did like me <laughs> and go sleep with her, right? And he wouldn't do it. And so then he, he says to the, his commander, put him in the heat of the battle so he dies. He murders a man, right? And then a prophet comes and speaks to him and said, I want to tell you a story about a man taking another man's sheep. Why did he tell him that story? Isn't it interesting that he told him a story about sheep? Because David discovered his purpose in serving God's purpose, and part of serving God's purpose was intending sheep for his father. And when, when the prophet told him that story, he was broken. He wrote a psalm about it, and, and he, he was broken inside. Here's my point about that. It, it's not that you never do anything wrong. It's not that you've not messed up. Every single person has. Every single person will. It's all about where is your heart? Has your heart turned to itself? Has it turned to bitterness and anger and frustration because you can't figure out what's going on in the world, so you're just angry and cynical about everything? Or... Could you become like David and settle your heart and say, there is a God, and if there is a God, he's, he's revealed himself. I can't decide what he's like. I can't make up my own God if there really is a God. I have to discover by revelation from him what he's like. And if I'm willing to do that, in discovering what God is like, I discover what I am like. And the first thing I discover is I'm very, very broken. And if I'm going to walk out the purposes of God, I have to surrender my life to his. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 33, and kind of gets to the point. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? That's a horrible question, because <laughs> they knew, right? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Here's what's really interesting about that passage. Jesus did not rebuke their ambition. He just directed it. He didn't, rebuke, he didn't say, I, I, don't want, I don't want you to be the greatest. That's not what he said. He just said the path to great is not what you think it is. That's all he said. And so often we have this thing, I used to share this so many times with young, especially young men who are called in the ministry. I would sit down with them at some point and I would go, can, can I ask you a question? Do you ever feel like you're great? And they're like, what? I said, do you ever feel like you were created for such an amazing purpose, but it's almost, you don't want to share it with anybody because it's almost, it's so 
you know, it looks self-delusional. It looks like, you know, who, well, who am I, right? But there's never, that, that's who God made you to be. God made every single one of us to be great. He made us to walk in fulfillment of the purposes that he called us for. He, you know, to, to borrow a book term, he created us to be our best selves, right? But so often we're pursuing our best selves outside of him, and God says the only way you're going to be great is to do something that seems almost contradictory. It's to lay your life down for something greater than yourselves. That's the only way you ever walk into great, greatness. So here's what's in, interesting. Matthew 10, verse 39, there's a paraphrase, a new paraphrase of the Bible out called the word come to life. It's not even completely finished yet, but it's really a fascinating paraphrase. Not a translation, but a paraphrase. And this is what Matthew 10 says in that paraphrase. Whoever finds their life will lose it. This is Jesus talking. In contrast, whoever loses their life because of me will find it. If you make your own way through life and ignore me, you won't know true life. Listen to this. But if you give up the right to control your own life and put me first, you will know true life. Listen to that again. If you give up the right to control your own life and put me first, you will know true life. And let me finish with this last passage. It's in Matthew 6. We've all heard it. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Again, he's not, he's not saying don't be ambitious. He's not saying don't seek better, don't grow, don't become, you know, don't buy a better house, don't have a better car, don't try to improve your station in life. He's, he's not saying that. We've heard that so often. Jesus just wants you poor. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't want you poor. He wants you wealthy. He just doesn't want wealth to have you. That's the only difference. Because wealth is just a tool. Beauty is a tool. You know, your strengths, all these things are tools. God doesn't want you to get rid of those. He just wants to use them for the purposes that he created them for. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever finds themselves in me will find true life. He goes on. The pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek First, the kingdom, and listen, and his righteousness. That's a very interesting phrase. He's talking about things, right? And so he says, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom. God, king, the king's domain, where the king is the king and everything is submitted to him. Seek that. Seek that with your own life. And then very interestingly, he says, and his righteousness. And if you do those two things, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will, begin, will be given you as well. Here's the biggest point behind that. If you pursue anything in life, so often one of the things that we pursue is our own righteousness. We try to do the right thing. We try to be right. We try to be good. In our attempt to do all those things, we don't obtain God's righteousness. We obtain our own. The Bible calls it self-righteousness, and it is the greatest evil that can exist in a person's life. Why? Because self-righteousness makes you the king of the castle. It makes you the king of the world, and everything begins to revolve around you. In your own righteousness, somehow you created a standard that everybody else has to live up to. You use your own gifts, your own abilities, your own strengths, and you judge everybody else by what you're good at. And maybe they're good at something on the other side of the equation, completely opposite. Maybe you're an introvert, and they're an extrovert. Maybe you're an extrovert, and they're an introvert. It doesn't matter. What happens is you begin to make yourself the center of the universe, and the moment you do that, you destroy your universe, and it's only a matter of time before it collapses. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't just seek the kingdom of God first. Of course do that. But more than anything else, lay down your own attempts at being good. Lay down your promises to God. God, I'm going to do better. I know I've screwed it up this time, but this time, Lord, I promise that somehow there's power in your promise. Somehow your redemption is based in your intention to be good. And it's never going to happen. The only way you're going to win, Jesus said, is when you come to that moment and you recognize the only way to get his righteousness is to lay down your own, is to humble yourself, and admit you have broken the laws, you have shown yourself to be a sinner. 
You have shown yourself to deserve only judgment. No matter how good you've been, you've been bad enough to have broken all the good things in your life. It's not about, did I do more good things than bad things? The Bible says if all the laws, if you break one single law, you are guilty of them all. You have shown yourself not able to live up to the standard that God requires, which is absolute perfection. And so often in our life, we're asking why. How come my life is not working out? And and the reason all the time, the reason is because I'm pursuing something other than him or I'm pursuing him in a way that he has not prescribed. I want God, but I want him on my own terms. And God's like, that's not how my kingdom works. So I I wanna challenge you this morning. If you don't know Jesus, if you are searching, if you've been asking the question why and you just keep falling, you just keep messing it up, you just keep getting it wrong, you're frustrated and you're cynical and you recognize there's something broken in this whole big scheme of things, the Bible says the answer for you is to lay your life down and pick up his. What does that look like? It's a simple prayer. Lord, this was mine. I said, Lord, I've tried everything else. I want to give you a shot. It's a horrible prayer, but I meant it from the bottom of my heart. And in that moment, God said, I can work with that. I can work with humility. I can work with you admitting that you're broken, that you're not okay, that you're not whole, that you need a Savior because that was the job the law was supposed to do to show me that I had need of a Savior. Have you discovered that yet? If you're not a believer this morning, it's a simple thing. It's admitting, Lord, I've sinned. I've, I've, every, every promise that you've given for me to live the good life, I've broken it because of my own uh, brokenness, my own self-righteousness, my own desires, my own selfishness. All those things have broken everything that I've tried to have in this world. And God's saying there's a reason for that because you've been trying to live out of your self-righteousness rather than mine. So I want to invite you, if you're not a believer this morning and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, just bow your heads with me. As a matter of fact, everybody in the room, if you would and online, if you'll just bow, bow your head and just pray this prayer. Lord, I come to you a sinner. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you died having lived a perfect life so that I could lay down my sin and take up your righteousness. Now, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to say thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Now, I want to follow you into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you prayed that prayer this morning. If you're not a believer, and all that is is just saying, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, and you're going to discover so many things that, that, that just make this world incredible. But let me ask you this. If you're a believer this morning and you've run up against this, the the why question, one, have you been allowed to ask the why question? Have you allowed yourself to ask the why question? And if you haven't, would you do it? Would you start asking the why questions and start looking to God for the answers? If you've been pursuing life, I know some of this is my own personal struggle. I'm like, God, I've been doing everything I think I'm supposed to do, and I'm not really seeing the result I thought I was supposed to see. That's my, I'm just being super honest and, 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 and you know, open with you guys. That's a challenge in my own life. And I pray and I'm like, Lord, I thought by now we should see some things. As a pastor of this church, as a leader, I thought in this world that if we did certain things, that these things would come to pass. And I'm, if I'm honest, I'm a bit frustrated. But also if I'm honest, I recognize that I don't hold the answer to that question, that only God does. And I'm willing to say, Lord, I want to lay down my own desires, not my ambition for the kingdom's sake, but, but the motivation behind it, the why, the methodology, maybe some of those things I've gotten wrong. And I just want to lay those down and say, God, I'm willing to hear you. I'm willing to let you speak truth into my life. I'm willing for you to say things to me that maybe I don't even want to hear. And I'm willing to humble myself and submit myself and come underneath. That's what submit means. It means to come under someone else's mission. I'm willing to come under your mission, God. So I want to ask you this. If you've been struggling, especially with finances, thinking, man, I, I, I need more money to, to do this thing. Um, if it's relationship issues, you know, by now I should be married, or I should have a relationship, or I should have kids, or I don't understand why this happened, this broken thing happened. I don't understand that. Those questions God is not afraid of. But I want to challenge you that when you ask the question, don't ask it without it being a question. And by that, I simply mean don't ask it in cynicism thinking you already know the answer because you don't. Don't say, God, why? And just close your ears when he tries to answer it. Because what's going to happen sometimes, he's going to come back to you and go, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about, and it's going to back some of you guys. It's going to back you up to when you were a kid. 
It's going to back you up to your first relationships. It's going to back you up to the motivations and the ambitions in your heart. And to put it the way the Bible says it, he's going to ask you, what were you discussing along the road? And he's going to come after some things in your heart that maybe you've been afraid to lay down. And I just want to challenge you as a believer this morning. If that's you, God is good. And you can trust him. The Bible says Abraham believed God. God said, Abraham, I'm going to do this thing in your life. And, and you know, the enemy of the promise is not the devil. It's what we think. The enemy of promise is time. So often we've had promises from God that we have not seen come to pass. Or they didn't happen the way we thought they should. And it creates this, this disconnect in our spirit that, <clears throat> if, if we're honest, we haven't been willing to admit. And sometimes, like David did, he asked really difficult questions. Lord, how come people over here who are not doing right seem to be doing well and prospering, and over here I'm trying to do the, the, the right thing by people, and I seem to be suffering? They're cheating in their business over here. I'm doing the right thing in my business over here, and my business isn't working. Over here, the relationships, they seem to be happy because they're sleeping with everybody and anybody, and over here, I'm trying to stay pure, and I'm finding myself lonely and feeling hopeless. But here's the thing. Ask the question. God's not afraid of the question from a believer. What you might be afraid of is God may give you an answer you don't like. And therein lies the rub. God is only king of his domain when someone else tries to usurp it and it's put down. And sometimes that someone is you. God, I want it to be this way. I wish this happened. I don't know why you didn't let me. And the list goes on and on. But at some point, if we're going to walk out the kingdom purposes in our life, we're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to submit ourselves to the kingdom and say, God, I don't understand, but I believe you and I believe you're good. And I'm going to open my heart for change and transformation for, for, to think a different way because that's what the Bible says transformation comes from, to think a new way. I'm going to open my heart and I'm going to say, Lord, is there something about my relationships you want to change? Is there something about the way I make money? Is there something about the way I'm pursuing this or that? Is there an anger in my heart about something that occurred in my past that I've never been really honest about with you? If, if I'm honest, I'm a little bit angry with you about this. And until you can get to that same place that David did where he could, he could bring his questions before God but never ascribe to God what was not God. If you're ready to do that, I want you to just do the same thing we did a minute ago and just pray a prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. It's just a heart thing. It's not magic. It's not an incantation. It's just a simple prayer. But if you would, just bow your heads with me if you're a believer. Lord, I just come to you in, in humility, and I say, Lord, it's your kingdom and not mine. And so, Lord, I just I come afresh and anew, and I submit myself to your purposes. Lord, I, I, I humble myself, Lord, and I recognize that maybe some of this stuff I've gotten wrong. Maybe some scripture that I've put my hope in, Lord, I've taken out of context. Lord, maybe something that, that happened in my past, Lord, where if I'm honest, I blame you for it not working out the way I wanted it to work out. Lord, I, I just want to humbly submit that to you. And I want to say, Lord, even if I'm honest, I'm, I'm, I am, I'm angry about it. And, and I, I want to push back. But I really do want an answer, Lord. I don't just want to yell at you and scream why, but never wait for a real answer. I really do want to hear what you have to say, even if it's not something I necessarily want to hear. So Lord, I really do want to lay my life down and pick yours up. Lord, would you show me what that looks like? Would you show me what it looks like to serve the purposes that maybe aren't mine, but are yours? To serve God's people, Lord, when sometimes God's people aren't easy to serve. Lord, to serve others when others are often not easy to serve. Lord, will you help me to see things accurately? Help me to ask the questions but Lord, help me to be honest about hearing the answers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're struggling and you just need some prayer over some of these issues, our ministry team will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, same thing online. You can go online for prayer. We'd love to connect with you as well. But if you need prayer, come on up and we'll pray for you. If not, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next weekend.